Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji podcast. The guests of this episode were able to transform their pet project into an actual job. Let's find out how they did that. Welcome to the Fuji podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. Many developers spend a lot of their time on side projects. It's an opportunity to learn new techniques and get involved in communities. But sometimes it can also lead to a new job or even starting a business based on such a project. Today we are talking to people who achieved such a transition and became famous and rich, or at least some of each. I'm uh, Tim Blake. I'm a software engineer and I've worked with uh, Java for over 20 years now. I, uh, I started out working at a university, then switched to a startup, then uh, switched to consulting for five years, and now I'm back to a startup. In my uh, spare time, I like to um, yeah, travel a lot. Uh, for the last year, I've traveled a lot for conferences, but also like doing long hikes. hikes. If I have time, I, I really enjoy working on open source software as well. So that's, that's been a hobby of mine uh, as well. So hi, my name is uh, Martin Mulders. I'm working as a consultant with uh, InfoSupport for more than 10 years by now, before I worked in a product company. Uh, so I've roughly 15 years of Java experience under my belt. I started out working in open source uh, mainly as a hobby, just like Tim. But eventually, I am uh, also partially doing that as part of my daytime job now. Besides working on open source software, I enjoy uh, cooking, uh, making music, and generally uh, well, having a good time with my family. Hi, I'm Lucas. I've been in the Java ecosystem for almost 20 years now. Uh, before that, I used to do uh, PHP coding during my university studies at Lausanne EPFL. Before doing Juke, I used to work uh, in the e-banking sector doing Java development, but also a lot of SQL development, which is why uh, Juke was made. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. I also like cooking and uh, spending time with the family or video games, uh, also doing hikes, these kind of things. Thank you. And I'm Frank Del Porto, the host of this episode of the Fuji podcast. And I too uh, have some open source projects that I'm involved in and Java on the Raspberry Pi is my uh, main pet project and it got me into writing and becoming a technical writer at Azul. You all have a pet project which became famous and led to some kind of a job or a business. I'm curious about what you're actually building. Um, can each of you describe your project in, let's say, two minutes? I don't even need uh, two minutes, although it's not my personal pet project, of course. Uh, I'm a regular contributor to Apache Maven, and I think Apache Maven does not need any introduction, does it? Uh, I mean, if you're around in the Java ecosystem, you do know Maven. Uh, and if you don't, you definitely should. Uh, it's kind of the de facto uh, default build tool. I do have some pet projects which are open source too. I think the most uh, well-known one is MCS, which is Maven Central Search. It's a small CLI utility that lets you uh, query uh, the Maven Central repository straight from your command line rather than having to switch to a browser back and forth. It's not really big, but it really started out because I was involved with Maven. I was like, hey, this is, this is kind of a missing link for me. I always need to look up those coordinates. Uh, and I always need to go to the browser, which is not the primary place where I am, because I'm either at the command line or in the IDE. So that's where it started. Maybe a discussion between Maven and Gradle will not do this in this podcast, but that could be... <laughs> <laughs> let's do a dedicated uh, <laughs> episode for that. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, reserve another hour and another podcast uh, to talk about that. Tim, uh, what's uh, your project? I also joined an existing project. 
like I said, I used to be a consultant and I used to do a lot of migrations and upgrades. Uh, I used to do these by hand and I thought, well, this is not optimal. And I went looking for tools and I discovered Open Rewrite. And Open Rewrite allows you to automate such migrations. So uh, anytime there's a breaking change in a project, we're, we're able to um, write a recipe to apply that change at scale to a project. And that was just a lot of fun. I, I started contributing issues and, and my minor fixes and eventually recipes. And it's just, a, it's become a hobby of mine and I, I won't shop up to it uh, about it if I meet anyone at a conference or anything. Yeah, that gradually moved into uh, uh, work. So yeah, good fun. And then we have one more project that we want to learn more about and that's Duke. Yeah, it's funny to hear the word pet or project uh, when you think about Juke these days. I mean, obviously it started like that, but today I would say it's just an ordinary commercial product, not a project, uh, because it's a full-time job for me. Uh, how it started, it, it was uh, an idea that everyone had in every company. You have to do some dynamic SQL and then you have to build those SQL queries. And you don't want to string concatenation all over the place with SQL injection vulnerabilities. And every company had this problem that I ever worked at. And they all wrote their own because there was nothing really that was uh, good enough uh, for solving these kind of things. There are a lot of uh, other pet projects, as he said. So uh, a lot of uh, similar projects exist uh, in all languages, actually, also in TypeScript or, or Rust or whatever. You you will always find something that looks like Juke on the surface, but has maybe a, a half a percent of the features. When I started doing this, I remembered a university professor who had this idea and... Uh, I, I, it never. It, it just always uh, motivated me to actually solve this problem thoroughly because every company has it. And I thought I, I have an approach to solving it that uh, I really wanted to do. So now Juke is really this uh, SQL builder at at basis. It can do a lot more these days than SQL building, but uh, originally it was a SQL builder, a type safe SQL builder for Java. And I say by now maybe about anything between five or ten percent Java developers uh, probably use it. The open source version, at least, uh, it's now also a commercial product, which we'll talk about afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for all these uh, technologies like uh, Open Rewrite, Juke. We all have articles on Fuji. Uh, links to these articles, I will add them to the show notes that people can uh, continue reading if they want to learn more about all these. Tim, because you were working on Open Rewrite, you actually uh, landed a job at Moderne. Mm -hmm. What do they exactly do? They offer commercial support on top of Open Rewrite? What Moderne does is we have a platform. So um, with Open Rewrite, you can apply them easily to a single project, but it might take, depending on the size of your project, yeah, up to half an hour. Whereas we have a platform that allows you to just ingest all of the projects that you have in a large organization. So if you're a bank or a large insurer and you have hundreds or even thousands of services, we allow you to run recipes just on all of those services in seconds. Mm -hmm. And we do the same for some 27,000 open source projects as well. So if you wow. want to contribute to uh, Apache Maven, for instance, we allow you to run a recipe across uh, the 90 repositories in, in a couple of seconds. You became an employee of Moderna. How did that happen? Did they follow your work in the open source project? Yeah, so it was kind of gradual. So I, I started out just contributing issues and then you, you get a bit more involved. So there was a, a Slack as well. And then most of their team is in the US or on the West Coast. And I just started answering community questions in the Slack and it just kind of grew from there, my involvement. 
I, I really enjoyed the project and I saw that no one was speaking about it. So I figured might as well submit a few call for papers and that got more of a response than I would have expected. And uh, so I just got more and more involved. And eventually, uh, I think uh, one of the, the other, they started asking, so when are you going to join? And then uh, I, I think by the fourth person asking, I, I said, okay, let's, let's plan a call and let's, uh, let's see if uh, there's anything in there. Yeah, went quickly. What is not always clear is, um, so you have the Open Rewrite project, that's open source, that's a community-driven thing. Is Moderna somehow the owner of that source or how do you need to look at that combination? Yeah, so Moderna was started by the the um, yeah the, the original authors of Open Rewrite. It's just a, a continuation to be able to fund the development of Open Rewrite. So we we hope to make it a successful company as well because it's it's always a challenge if you give away the core for free that you have to have a very convincing product built on top of that to also support the uh, yeah, the the company aspect of it. I find that amazing. So like, for instance, the whole Open JDK project is open source. And then you have all these companies. I myself work at Azul. So that's also a company based on an open source project. So I find it really amazing that although some things are for free, that it's still able to have a company uh, on top of it. I think it's a bit the same with Juke. You have Juke the library that you can use for free in any project. So Lucas, how do you build a company on top of an open source free library. In hindsight, I might have done everything differently, but uh, I did start with a pet project and uh, very naively just put it out there for free and for everyone to use. And uh, I think one of the questions you were going to ask me was uh, when I decided to, to make this commercial is mm -hmm. uh, simply because I realized some very, very large companies were using it and never said thank you or contributed anything back. But they don't have to. It's, it's not their fault. It's, it's free. It's, it's, there's no strings attached. So I realized maybe if these big companies get a lot of value out of it, maybe I'm, I'm giving it away for too uh, little money, right? So nothing at all. So why not change that? I'm still doing open source because I like it and also because it has a marketing effect, but I don't have any emotions about it. Uh, it could as well be a highly focused commercial products that only very few companies actually use and it's uh, with a much different price model. Uh, I think that would work as well for some use cases. Probably not for the SQL Builder use case, but Juke uh, can do other things as well, like translating between SQL dialects. So when you migrate from Oracle to Postgres, I can help uh, customers to speed up that migration and that saves them a lot of money. So uh, that's still a prototype uh, in, in terms of uh, the business behind it, mm -hmm. but there's going to be a different pricing on that and maybe not, not open source at all. So I, I don't know that yet. So from a, from a business perspective, I think this whole licensing thing is completely overrated. I mean, I know all of you guys are uh, deeply in open source. I have absolutely no emotions about that topic. It's, it's just a means to an end to me. So you get something, you give something. So what I give is uh, free usage. What I get is uh, a free distribution channels like Maven Central. I don't have to pay anything for all of that. I don't have to pay to go to conferences and make my marketing pitch. A lot of uh, speakers complain that they're not going to be uh, paid when they speak. But I, I think it's uh, wonderful when I go to conferences, I can just pitch a product and, and I don't pay a single euro for that. So... It's it's kind of a you you couldn't do that if it if it were all commercial right so mm -hmm. open source opens some doors but it also closes some doors to some revenue streams. You, you said some major companies were using it for free 
never said thank you. That's a complaint that you have a lot in the open source community. Yeah, and but I don't complain about that. How hard was it then to, to make these uh, free users paying users? So uh, when I switched, um, I had two strategies here. So the first one was I 100% I tied the license to the database that is being used. So if you're using a commercial database product like Oracle or SQL Server, you're paying them and you're probably paying them millions. So you, you better pay me as well. And when you're using a free open source database product like MySQL or Postgres, uh, those people are probably very cost sensitive or whatever. So they, they might be less inclined to pay for whatever reason. I don't, I don't judge, but uh, it's, it's less likely to get money out of those people. So I kind of split the code base into two parts where the commercial drivers are now only available to co commercial customers of commercial databases. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing. And the second thing is I removed all the tests from the open source edition. So it's, it's now a completely, uh, I forgot which one, but it's the barn, cathedral and bazaar uh, kind of discussion. So where now it's a cathedral, I'll just put it out there open source for everyone to use, but they can't actually maintain it. So users can't really start becoming a competitor to me. They could if they invest a lot of effort, but it's very, very hard because without tests, you, you, you're just going to break everything. Right, so it's such a complex topic, such a complex domain, where where so many uh, decisions have been made in the code base that you can't really verify when you change anything without the test. So they would have to rewrite all the tests first. So this was for me especially because uh, when I when I switched from all open source to uh, dual licensed, I was really afraid that someone would be really pissed and start competing with me on my own IP, which is something that actually happened mm -hmm. to a competitor. So I don't know if you remember with their Slick. Have you ever heard of Slick in Scala? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a similar tool that has a different approach, but it's 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 pretty much the same idea as Juke, uh, just a different style of doing it. And they have very simple drivers because their uh, scope isn't as big as Juke. So there's, the drivers is probably, uh, what, 200 lines per database product. So in 200 lines, you can Im implement an Oracle driver. And mm -hmm. when they actually, they actually had the same idea as, the, as, as I did. So I kind of copied this idea with the commercial versus open source drivers from them. And they had just a single individual who was really, really pissed. And, and I, I dare say he was a bit entitled as well. Uh, he just forked it and republished the commercial drivers with his own IP as open source. And this kind of destroyed uh, Lightband's business. In, in, with this product. So I was really afraid of that. So I took a lot of measures that this couldn't, mm -hmm. was less likely to happen. If someone files a bug on your system on Juke, how do you help them? And, and how do you eventually maybe turn them into a paying customer? Yeah, so this is an interesting question. A lot of companies uh, tie commercial support strictly to commercial support contract. And, and because it's their business to sell support, uh, this is uh, more prevalent, I guess, in open source because you can't sell the license. So you have to kind of sell something around the license, which is, for instance, support. But I don't want to do that in my business. I really want to make most money with licensing and not with support. So this means for, for this is my perspective. It's probably not applicable to all uh, products, but I want to have a really kick-ass product, right? So it must be really good. And every every bug report helps me improve that. And I don't want to turn down someone who spends time investigating a bug just because they don't have a commercial support contract or whatever. Now, of course, if they send me a private message on, on some email or Twitter and they don't have a commercial support contract, then I will direct them to the public forum. 
So this is kind of a privilege that only paying customers have. For instance, the secrecy around the report of a bug, if they want to share confidential information. So I don't do that with non-paying customers. But uh, non-paying customers get all the support as well, even if they, they, they're not paying right now. Because I'm trying to play this for the long game. I, I, I treat them like customers, not, uh, just the same. And I hope to convert them eventually, thanks to the quality of the product, thanks to the features that they will eventually need. Like the driver, I, I said initially, when once they switch to Oracle or have to support Oracle as well. Or there are also, in the meantime, a couple of commercial-only features, which they might discover eventually, and they will upgrade. So eventually they will upgrade, but not because they need to ask me a question. They will upgrade because uh, uh, they need a feature, and I want to make money with the feature in the end. So, so that's that's what they're paying for. And I even think that uh, making money with support is the wrong thing to do as a product company because you want to make money when the customer works, right? So that's that's my vision here. So when you when you make money with support requests, you have to actually put in work to make money, and you have to justify that work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's it's a less scalable business than licensing. So so every time you have these support requests with uh, paying customers, no one else will profit from this. So you have to answer, like in my case, for instance, I have to answer how to integrate Duke with Spring Boot with this specific configuration, and I really hate these kind of questions, right? So I, I really don't care about how Spring Boot works. It's a great technology, but I don't have time to learn it uh, and, and to debug a very Spring Boot-specific problem just because there's some kind of juke in it. So I don't, I don't want to do these kind of support requests. So what I'm trying to do mostly is have a, a great, great coverage of Stack Overflow questions, for example. So every question that you could have about juke is already answered somewhere, and it's easily Googleable. So I don't have to answer it again. And, and this is completely opposite of whatever uh, someone who wants to make money with support would do, which is a viable business for some companies, but it's just not what I want to do. I want to make money with features. So I think uh, these kind of customers who get a free support, it's just occasional, right? So maybe they will just have one or two questions. They're not going to convert because of support. So they're not going to pay whatever, 2,000 euros per year just to ask one question, right? So they, they want to have this question somewhere. They don't care who answers it. If it's the vendor or some some community on Stack Overflow or whatever, where I also answer, but um, they don't care about this. They want a great product with a little as possible friction, and eventually they will have something they need from the product, and they will pay. Customers who have been using Juke for free for ten years have eventually started paying just because they have to right now because some they need something they have to pay for, and they're so happy they just pay, right? So the only problem I may have is that I don't have enough commercial features yet to make more money, but uh, I'm working on that. But uh, I think this this works very easily and all by itself. Have a great product, have a great product experience, offer a lot of value, and the extra value, it just costs something. If you can do without the extra value, then you get it for free, and if you need the extra value, you pay. I think that a lot of companies work well like that. Like JetBrains, again, if you're using vanilla Kotlin, you don't need JetBrains subscriptions. But as soon as you combine Kotlin with Spring and you need all those Spring editing tools that they only offer in the Ultimate Edition, well, it's a no-brainer. You pay 400 euros per year or something like that, and you get this huge productivity boost on, on, your, on your stack. So why not pay? You were already happy with the free, free edition, right? I really like your... Um, when my customer works, then... They will pay for the product approach. Uh, it, it resembles a, a case where recently learned about 
It was also a, uh, an open source product, which had a commercial version. And they said, the price is something that we discuss in relation, of, in, in conversation with you. We help you assess how much the product helps you save. And we take a little bit of that because the more we help you save, the more is the value that we offer to you. And if you take only little value out of our project, then we don't need that much. But we believe that we will save you a lot of money. And then we would like to have a, a little bit bigger part out of that. And it saved you the money, right? We agreed on that. I'd like the comparison you make with JetBrains and IntelliJ IDE. You can get it for free, but indeed it's 400 euros the first year that you buy it. But you get so much added value. And if you just calculate the number of hours that you uh, reduce in your working time, because the tools help you a lot, uh, yeah, you earn it back in a few weeks. And that's actually what a lot of these uh, other projects also offer. And Duke, for instance, I think that's also the main idea there. Uh, by just paying one time, you get a lot of benefit and uh, lose a lot of working time. I think a, a whole part of, of open source and how products get used and, and commercialized is linked to the licenses. I, I read the book of Bruno Luagi, the creator of iTech. Yeah, I've read it as well. Uh, Entrepreneur. It's really good book because it really describes the struggle that you can have uh, when going from a project to a commercial thing. But actually the licenses are very crucial there. Is that something that you can, from, from the Maven project, uh, give some info uh, in, Martin? Yes, it is indeed a rather important topic. And, and well, the good thing for Maven is they're part of the Apache Software Foundation, so they don't really have to invent that wheel themselves. The ASF has even their own license, the Apache software license, and it's it's pretty famous for being business friendly. So if you start a project within the Apache Software Foundation, I think every project there just has the ASL as their license. So from that perspective, it's it's relatively easy. If you want to contribute, of course, you're on the other end of the spectrum. If you submit a, a pull request to Maven, and I know uh, Tim did uh, recently because I saw quite a, quite a few of him, we actually have a checklist where we say if it's a small contribution, you can just hereby de declare that it's under the terms of the ASL. Uh, and if it's bigger, then we ask you to sign the individual contributor license agreement, the ICLA for short which is, is just a document saying, hey, I'm, uh, I as an individual am contributing a larger piece to this project and I'm not going to sue you of copyright infringement and that kind of stuff. But if you do this as a uh, contributor um, uh, on behalf of a commercial company, then they also ask your company to sign a similar document, which is the Corporate Contributor License Agreement or CCLA for short, that's kind of an agreement between the ASF and your employer with the same terms and conditions, roughly. I, I, I didn't quite read that document. I just asked our lawyer to read it and to, to, to advise our uh, our management if they could sign it or not. Uh, because as I said, I'm, I'm doing contributions in my work time. So I need my employer to agree to that uh, agreement. So they read it and advised management, yes, this is a uh, a good agreement, we can safely sign it, it will not hurt our business, it will uh, enable us to do what we have in mind, which is contributing back to open source. So please sign it. And um, well, if, if you have those uh, in place, then it's from there on, it's, it's easy. With every pull request I submit, I just say, yes, I signed the ICLA, 
and my employer signed the CCLA and we're done. As you mentioned, so your employer, InfoSupport, is sponsoring your work for Maven, so you can work on the Maven project during your uh, work time. How is that arranged? Do they say you can work so many days a week on that project, or it has to be in relation with what we use from the Maven project? How do they arrange such a thing? It all started a couple of years ago. Uh, when we decided uh, we do benefit a lot from open source. And, uh, well, we just heard uh, Lucas say uh, big companies using my product, but they never said thank you. Uh, And we decided we wanted to say thank you. How are we going to do that? Well, um, the first thing that we came up with is we can contribute. We can invest some time. Later, more recently, we decided we can also uh, sponsor, uh, so financially. But uh, many projects don't necessarily need money for instance, because they are all community-driven and they have uh, the ASF behind them, uh, but they do need time. We decided we wanted to contribute, to say thank you this way. We basically said, let's allocate so many FTE for that. And everyone who has a good idea for a project that we benefit from, that aligns with our values, that is actually open for contributions, you can just pitch it and say, hey, I'd like to contribute to this project. In the end, I think... um, we now work with two people on Apache Maven, me and a colleague of mine, Giovanni. What we do is we, we roughly take one day every two weeks and then we sit together because co-programming, pair programming works a lot better for us. Mm-hmm. It gives better ideas. It gives better results. And then sometimes there, there's a little bit of small tasks that we do well, just in our spare time or ju- just somewhere else in the week. But we try to allocate a fixed day every two weeks or so, sit together and and, and do the, the, the larger parts. I think that's quite unique. From what I know is most companies will contribute back to a project if they find a bug in their specific use case, they solve it and that's what they contribute back. So this is something we need in this project, so we give it back. But really... A fixed commitment to a project, I think that's quite unique for a company. I think there are more companies doing it, but it's more of their business. Um, let, let's say a company like Red Hat or something, they do a lot in open source, but it's their business model. For us, it's not. We're a consultancy company, so our main business is actually uh, my working hours, advising our customers. And in that way, it is quite a commitment because... If I work a day on a Apache Maven, it means I'm not doing billable hours. It's as simple as that. Then still, what is the benefit for info support that you're doing that? For one thing, it is the fact that uh, we said we, we do want to give back because that's the right thing to do. That That's what open source is about, making something together in a better way, um, improving it. Uh, so, so that was one of the reasons. Um, Another one is also, it's, it's really simple. It's, it's a way to, um, to empower people, to, to say to people that work within our company, hey, you want something um, special to do. You want to work on something different than your day-to-day job. It's also uh, motivating people. Like, hey, I've got a fun part in my job. This is something, not the regular stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. So, so there's multiple goals, really. But I think the, the, the most important one and the primary driver really was the fact that we said we do benefit a lot and it saves us so much time being able to use a lot of amazing tools and, and products for free. Let's see if we can give back to those communities that 
let us do these things and let us use their products. That's a bit the same thing that as I got involved in the Pi4J project. So that's a library for Java development on the Raspberry Pi and controlling electronics. It was also my goal. I want to learn something new. Uh, and experiment with electronics. I've never done that. I, I did that before, but it's 30 years ago. Um, so let's go back to that topic. And then indeed, you start learning and meet new people. And mainly the learning part, I think, is when you get involved in an open source project, it's seeing how other people develop something, how they build something, how they maintain a code base. I think that's one of the main things that you can learn from joining an open source project. That's also the reason why I got involved and what I really enjoy out of it is that every time you join a project, you find out like new tools that they use or, or different flows that they have. And it, it just builds your expertise in uh, yeah more ways than just the one project that you contribute to. And you take that back with you on, on the next project. So it's just a yeah, it's nice amplifier on, on yeah, yeah, growing your skill set. I think for a lot of developers, when you're looking for a new job, your GitHub profile and the number of green dots could be a benefit. But can we agree that you're not obliged as a programmer to be an open source committer? You can be still a hell of a developer and not contribute to open source. I can agree there. Not, not everyone has the time even to uh, contribute as much or, or to get that green streak all across the, the row. But um... I don't know. I, I do enjoy it when I see others are also part of the community, not just using things from the community, but also even if it's just contributing like an issue or a suggestion here or there, that's stuff you can do throughout the day. And uh, yeah, it's certainly not a requirement. In addition of having an impressive GitHub profile, is there something other that's important as a developer within your career? I, I would actually agree with Tim in saying, no, having this, this green strike is not the main mark of being an amazing engineer or not. In fact, uh, I know quite a few people who are brilliant engineers, but have different ways to spend their free time. And what they do, they do in closed environments. You don't see it. If you visit their public profiles, you will not see anything of their amazing achievements. Yet they do deliver amazing work. But in their free time, they prefer hiking or climbing or whatnot. If you're trying to impress your new employer, it, there's many more ways in which you could do that other than saying, hey, look at my GitHub profile and look at all the many green dots out there. Sure, you can make fun out of it and say, look at the nice pattern or, hey, here I took a break or here I became a father or this is where... You know what? But especially in commercial environments, you, you make an impact. You change something for your customers or for the company that you work for. And you do that using your skills as a software engineer to, to actually create that impact. And I think that the challenge is to bring that on the table, to explain to your potential new employer, this is how I created a positive impact on the life of others or on the business of others. And maybe that impact is not a bunch of green dots, but it's a business running more smoothly or it's people being able to do shopping much smarter or, well, what not? There, there are so many things in which you can have a very positive impact, but not in terms of publicly visible code contributions. And let's be honest, for some people, being able to work in IT, well, it's, it's their way to, to make a living. 
and they don't have the time outside of working hours to do things for free like many open source contributors do. I mean, sure, there are exceptions to the rules, but most of them are volunteers. Do it in their spare time. Not everyone has the privilege to be able to do that because they have other things on their mind. They need to take care of their beloved ones or they just have their household to run or or whatnot. Only looking at those green dots, I think that that's really a very narrow view to one's personality and one's skill set. Going back to the title of this podcast and uh, becoming rich and famous, some of us got rich because of their work in open source. (laughs) Maybe I should ask you, Lucas, you really founded your own company on top of your project. Are you one of the rich people after an open source project? I don't know about rich, but uh, it generates decent revenue, certainly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you have your revenue, so that's your income now. Yeah, I I even dropped all the consultancy business. Uh, I used to do that as well uh, to kickstart the company. uh, I used to do some uh, consultancy for previous employers or their customers at first, and then also SQL trainings and these kind of things, which are easy money. You know, training business is easy money. But I always said that um, a project is something where you work and you you make money as soon as you work. And a product is something where, where you can stop working and you make money when your customers work. And uh, it's kind of more compelling this way, I think, uh, to work on, on uh, products. I always liked to work on products because they scale, not just in terms of money, but also in terms of scope. So... Uh, when a customer tells me I, I need this feature urgently, I always tell them, okay, whatever. I'll put it on the backlog and I'll wait until at least 10 other customers have similar requirements because I'm not going to build this for you. It's no way. This is not a product a project company. There's no way you can make me build this right away. It would be silly for all the other customers. They would have a crap product that does one thing very weirdly and, and no one else can use that. It's not maintainable afterwards. So... So in terms of uh, making money, I think this is not really uh, tied to the business model or to the license or whatever. It's just a product, right? So open source things are very often products. It's just a correlation. It's not really strictly a necessity, but a lot of open source things are libraries or servers or some infrastructure software, which are products. So it's it's much easier to monetize a product than, than uh, ordinary projects like like end users then have or like an e-banking system or whatever. So maybe that simplified making money off it. But then again, as Martin or Tim said, everything was about community when, when the focus is on open source. But for me, the focus is not at all on open source. I don't really care about community at all. So in terms of contributors, there used to be contributors in the past, but probably since I've uh, added a CLA that is maybe a bit more restrictive, plus removed the test, Contributors have kind of gone away because a contributor now can maybe uh, provide a patch for a bug, which is trivial to fix, but they can't contribute new features without risking breaking changes. And I usually just don't want to allocate time anyway to review contributions like that because I don't think that ordinary uh, contributors who are not really invested in the product can make quality contributions of a bigger size, right? So everyone can patch a bug. That's probably possible. But, but to contribute a new feature, you have to be very well aware of the roadmap, of the strategy of the product, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, for instance, Maven is moving so slowly as an example, but that's a good thing for Maven because it, it kind of shows that hardly any idea is worth adding to Maven. Everyone has great ideas for them, but it would be a terrible idea for, for the community. 
to, to implement something very quickly and fast. So it's very hard, I imagine, I, I just imagine, hard to contribute substantial stuff to Maven because, because it's just uh, this community that everyone talks about in open source, it's, it's, it's a wishy-washy thing for me. What, what does it even mean? For me, community means all the, my customers. And I, I talk about open source users who are not paying also as customers because I treat them like customers. They will eventually pay, I hope. So uh, they're freemium customers right now. And I don't think of them as contributors or whatever. They're customers and I'm building it for them. I'm building the product for them. I want them to succeed with the product, but I, I have absolutely no expectation whatsoever for their involvement in, in any kind of way. And I think I think a lot of open source things would work much better this way if there were some larger backing companies that figure out the financial stuff and then uh, people would stop harassing users to send a pull request. This is my point of view, but... When I see that, when, when for instance, I'm an Eclipse user, and every time I have a minor feature request, they tell me, "I'll oh, send a pull request." And I'm thinking, "Oh my god, I can't spend I can't spend the next 50 days thinking about a feature and how it fits in the huge, 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 huge project of Eclipse. I have absolutely no idea how to implement this feature, let alone how to implement it technically. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a technical thing. Why, why do you even say that? Why, why is this the first response? Send a pull request. That should be the last one. We should start discussing the feature. What are my requirements? And then we should start discussing what are my real requirements because I'm, I didn't think this through. I'm, I'm just annoyed by this little gimmick, you know. So I think open source is a really weird thing where people have some, some sort of really weird conception about what it should be. And then they will endlessly discuss what it should be and what it shouldn't be and who is a good citizen and who is a bad citizen. And by making this all commercial and all about me as the single vendor, not just a benevolent dictator, but a single vendor, I, I, I kind of don't have this discussion. It's just, mm-hmm. it's a product. It happens to be a freemium product. Uh, no strings attached because it's also an Apache licensed. So it's not just freemium. So you can really do whatever you want. But it's unlikely you're going to do whatever you want. You're just going to use it uh, or use an alternative if you, if you don't like it. So Duke has a lot of uh, competition, like Hibernate is the biggest one. But there's also a, a queer DSL, which is no longer maintained, but it's it's completely free. So there's no strings attached there either. So it's kind of different from my perspective. So again, open source is, is a, it's for me, mainly a, a, strategy, a marketing strategy still, uh, mainly a way to get uh, reach. I got a blog post on Fuji as well, which is about open source. So we, we kind of find each other on, on that topic, but I don't have any uh, strong opinions about community or whatever uh, users should or should not do. Um, I think they, there's no strings attached. If, you, if, you, if they get value out of it, all mm-hmm. the better. They don't have to contribute anything to me. That's actually a very valid point that you say that within an open source project, within any project or product, People ask for stuff, but just jumping in and implementing it is always a bad idea. So that's for every project. You have a long list of requirements or requests, and then finding the common request of several people at which can actually improve your project, that's a hard thing to find. And I guess, like you said, Maven is such a big project. Who decides in the Maven project what gets implemented? That's an interesting question. Formally, if, if you look at the ASF model, they say uh, committers get to make short-term decisions, by which I think they mean is, uh, well, you can change the code, which is in itself a short-term decision, right? And, and you can participate in longer-term discussions. There is 
kind of a roadmap. There is an idea of, hey, uh, what do we want to land in Maven 4? And how is that going to help us uh, in the next decade or so? I think primarily this is what the PMC, the Project Management Committee, is involved with. And it really helps to reach out to them and ask, hey, look, I've got quite some time on my hands now. Is there a way in which I could help realizing those ideas? And if so, would you be willing to help me on the first steps? Because, uh, well, even with a lot of tests, uh, I, I mean, uh, the Maven project does have a lot of tests because we, uh, well, we take a different stance there than than, than the Duke project. It, it can still be hard to find where to get started. So you really need somebody to take you by the hand to guide you uh, for those bigger things. But what really helps to, to, to get you started is take a look at the smaller issues. We, we strive to have small issues in our backlog as well. Tag them like up for grabs. This shouldn't be too hard. If you know your way around Java a little bit, even without knowing the Maven code base itself from heart, you should be able to do a meaningful contribution here. And we will be very uh, uh, gladly uh, helping you if, if, if you if you get stuck. But please um, do not think, hey, I've got a feature request. Oh, by the way, here's 5,000 lines of code if, if it's your first contribution. Because chances really are, as Lucas pointed out, uh, you're taking a completely different direction than we're thinking. And that's not us being arrogant or being, oh, look, we know it all. But we have some kind of idea of where we want to go, what we do want in Maven itself, and what we do not want in Maven itself, but rather as an extension or a plugin. Mm-hmm. And, and it sometimes happens. Currently, we're in the process of getting a large contribution from another commercial party, which reached out to us and said, look, this is what we developed in-house, and, and we benefited a lot from it. Uh, would it be possible to make it part of Maven? And we said, it's, it's an amazing feature. We'd love to have it, but not in this way. The funny part is that after some discussions back and forth on how it worked and, and what it achieved, we said, if we add two or three more public APIs, then you can build the whole thing as an extension. So it doesn't land in Maven itself. It's going to be an extension, which you can enable or disable as you wish. The number of changes in Maven itself really got reduced to, well, basically exposing a few things that we already had, but weren't public. Now they're part of of what we could consider a public API. And it allowed them to implement the feature, which is a brilliant feature, as an extension, having minimal impact on the Maven code base itself. And that kind of a discussion, that's really what you need, because that gives you the most quality contributions at the end of the day, without having the risk of, well, uh, yeah, this is one feature, works works for them, but not for or our so many thousand or million other users, mm. or it impacts them in a way that we do not want to uh, to risk. I've seen a bit the same thing in the Pi4G projects. When someone proposes a bug fix and it's really mm. small thing, we just merge it. We agree. That's yeah. not a discussion. It's a bug and, and bug. this fixes it. Clear. Yeah. Yeah, and and definitely with the electronics programming, you have these very small changes that can improve how you communicate with electronic components. So, we have some contributors there to the project who are creating examples, example code. How do you communicate with a little display from a Raspberry Pi? And then they find out, oh, but I'm missing one bit something here in this kind of command, and they contribute a very small 
bug fix to the library, which enables them to make the example application. A bit the same thing like you say, a small improvement in the library can enable something bigger as an extension or an implementation. So yeah, that's, that's a very nice thing that you see that people, if they really understand the library and they find the bug and they fix it, then integrating it and, and merging it is, is a no-brainer indeed. But the big things and the big changes, yeah, they definitely need some some discussion. Is this also uh, how you joined the uh, rewrite project, Tim? Is with small things and then and getting more and more involved in the code and understanding the code? That's exactly my involvement. And I think it's interesting since we're maybe at the, the opposite end of the spectrum as compared to Joe. Whereas with Open Rewind, we of course have an, a core, an engine that allows you to uh, apply recipes. And that is not something that's easy to get into. Like we have uh, highly skilled staff for that. But we also have a very large collection of recipes, recipes which will fix some static analysis finding or uh, contribute a minor part in a larger framework migration. And those are really easy to get into. If you do a migration of Mojito and you find a small bug, uh, you can submit an uh, improvement or a, a new recipe that will handle that certain case better. And for us, it's then a strategic choice to make all of those recipes available open source and make the flow for new contributors to get into the project as easy as possible, just to, because that's the way that we grow that body of recipes. And it's also um, why we try to engage with um, library and framework authors to also provide recipes as they make breaking changes, such as at the moment that they put out a new uh, major version, that there are recipes available. And I think you can only do that if you make the core of everything open source, because no one's going to contribute recipes for your commercial project, because it's just not as fun. You can't use it tomorrow at office. It's just you, you want to have all of that available. And then, uh, yeah, so it's it's a bit of a, a different strategic choice, just making all of those recipes uh, yeah, just easy to get started with. And uh, yeah, that's how we hope to grow the, uh, the body of uh, what we can uh, achieve. Yeah, I don't think that's true at all. I mean, look at Oracle and how big their community is for the database. And everyone contributes scripts or uh, PL SQL code or whatever. It, it's not necessary for the core to be open source for ha to have a community of people integrating stuff. Or look at the Atlassian. There's so many Jira plugins that are... Atlassian is not an open source product. You have to buy it, right? Yet the community is huge and the community still interacts. So what, what are you discussing here is a plugin system enabling anyone to contribute plugins. And that's great, right? So it's like the Apple App Store and everyone can, can contribute apps. But that doesn't make Apple an open source company. So it's, uh, I think this is very interesting. I'm again giving the very business uh, side perspective here on open source. People who are deeply involved in open source stop seeing the world outside of open source. That's my perspective here. So I, I've often seen people discuss in open source, it is like that. And I'm saying, okay, but that's not an open source thing. That's a product thing. Every product has this attribute. So every product wants to do this thing that an open source product happens to want to do as well. So I, I just sometimes invite people who are deeply in the open source world to kind of think out of, outside of the box because there's a whole huge ecosystem outside of open source that's just not as open in terms of communication, obviously. So what is very specific to open source is that it's always or almost always also an open development 
environment where where people openly discuss stuff, but that doesn't mean that the same things don't happen in the commercial side as well. It's just not very well known and people are not very outspoken about it. Maybe they even think about these things as secrets, which is nonsense, of course, because everyone does the same thing. But but uh, a lot of these things are are not actually open source related, but product related, which is great for you. That means you're, you're actually making a product, which is very useful for a huge community. And I've also considered using open rewrite in the past. I, I don't know why I actually forgot about it, but it does look very interesting for Juke users to upgrade Juke API usage when I deprecate something. So this would be a use case, right? When I deprecate some API, yep. so they can yeah, just run right. open rewrite on it and then they use the new API automatically, right? Well, we we had Knut join us, so if you want to get yeah, started, I should, yeah. should be should be soon. <laughs> yeah. I'll write it down. Maybe that's the result of this podcast that we have some <laughs> Duke. Uh, by the way, I will also include to the show notes a link to the FOSDEM talk that you've given about Open Rewrite. I was impressed with how you can. I think from Spring Two to Spring Three, there were some. You had some very impressive demos there. So it's a short session. All the sessions from FOSDEM were only twenty minutes. So it's a very nice one uh, to look at. Uh, Lucas, as you said before, you're the benevolent dictator for life uh, of your project. I had to look it up on Wikipedia, but can you give us more info about that? Well, like any vendor, right? Any vendor wants to own their IP. So benevolent dictator is kind of a weird thing that the open source ecosystem invented for people who should <laughs> probably make a commercial product out of their contribution, but don't for some reason. I mean, any vendor is the benevolent dictator of their own IP, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's really your project. Okay. I think the term was actually first coined for uh, Guido van Rossum, who invented the Python language. But oh, really? I'm cur curious how you would turn a programming language into a, a product in that way. Uh, how, how, how would you, what, what would be the commercial proposition there? there? There's probably ways for it. I just don't, don't see how uh, immediately. Really? So look at Swift. You have to use the whole Apple pipeline to use Swift. Or look at Kotlin. You have to buy the ID to, to write Kotlin. Or look at all the languages from the 90s. I mean, it's it's kind of no longer this uh, huge business that it used to be. But in the 90s, Microsoft made a lot of money from Visual Basic and all of the, the whole thing, the whole ecosystem. Yeah. So Yeah, okay. That kind of makes a bell ring. I would say for Kotlin, it's not the same. I think you can run it without the commercial tooling. But indeed, it's tool, change, tool change, that's uh, that's a very good one, uh, how mm -hmm. you could make money out of it. But, but would Python be so popular if you had to buy a bunch of tools in order to get it working? That's, that's kind of an interesting question mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Probably not anymore. Yeah, that's the whole. That's indeed a big change that we've seen in the last. How long I'm programming? Thirty years almost. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, for C sharp, you needed Visual Studio, the full Visual Studios. Now yeah. it's Visual Studio Code. That's very confusing. But <laughs> I know we had at the company a, a big box with all CDs because you yeah. had to be member of the Microsoft program and then you got uh, new cds every few months with the new editions yeah. and those will be pretty expensive <laughs> that's indeed a very big change if you look at what microsoft has done with visual studio code which is then the free id that they are making and that it supports all these languages they also made the switch from uh, only their own c languages to java and all the other languages so yeah definitely has been a lot of changes and i don't know if you can make a new uh, language popular again the same way. Okay, um, thanks for all the info. 
Uh, we need to end this podcast now as I should bring the things I learned today into practice and find uh, which of my too many pet projects would be a candidate to become famous and maybe rich. Uh, thanks for listening and keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. Thanks for listening. Give me a foo, give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.